This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Today, I'm talking with Dada Yijam, Federal Reserve CIO. Jada, as the CIO and the capacity of the CIO of the Federal Reserve um, System, she oversees the system IT strategy, IT investment, and spending, enterprise information security. She also directs the management of the national IT operations, project services, and enterprise architecture and standards. Jada, it is a pleasure to have you on the show today as we are practicing social distancing you're uh, remote, uh, I believe, in your offices, and, and I'm actually at home. Good morning, Aileen. Thank you so much, and I'm very uh, excited to be here, and thanks for including me in this great show. And yes, technology is amazing. We're probably many, many miles away, and we're sitting here in this virtual radio station having this interview. Got it. Let's start off with... Uh, you know, the big question, can you define a great leader and and what traits do you think great leaders possess? So Aileen, I do believe that leadership is situational. What I mean by that is right leader for the right situation. Uh, A leader of a stable operations would have different traits and attributes than a leader who's probably leading a mergers and acquisition or leading a transformation strategy. Um, So there's not really a formula that says this is a template for a great leader, but based on my personal experience, as well as working with great leaders uh, throughout my career and watching leaders uh, succeed or fail and some of the learnings uh, from them, there are a couple of uh, areas that I would think are important for a leader to uh, recognize and and adapt or uh, adopt in their leadership style. We all know that organizations are made up of people, uh, and without the people, a leader cannot uh, actually do anything within a large organization. And people are free thinkers, free agents, uh, so it's important for the leader to engage uh, the people in the organization in formulating the vision, the mission, the priorities, and the strategies for the organization to move forward. Um, So engaging people, uh, having them be included uh, is important. Um, The other factor for a leader is we know that, um, you know, the world doesn't stay static, changes the constant in the world and the changes the constant in business. Um, I did work for Intel for 14 years in my career, and when I worked there, Andy Grove was the CEO of Intel, and he had a very famous quote, only the paranoid survives. Uh, That stayed with me throughout my career. What that means is, as a leader, you're always scanning the, the business strategies, and if there are changes in business strategies, you're scanning the industry from an IT perspective. We scan the technology evolution because as the world changes and evolves, 
uh, we need to adapt our priorities and our strategies and the things that we're working on to be current and to be relevant uh, in the world uh, that we um, operate. And again, that's a, a definitely a responsibility that I see uh, uh, for the leader. And then in the IT world, um, IT should not exist for technology's sake. IT exists to support the business and to support the operation of the business. Uh, so as an IT leader, I believe it's important to engage with the business leaders, uh, to understand the business strategy, to understand where the business is going and how, ca how can IT support that business. Uh, and as we can see from our, our interview today, technology is prevalent and technology is important for us to operate. So knowing what the business needs and how IT can support the business is an important trait for an IT leader. Uh, but and last but not least, uh, leading without results is not um, you know, meaningful. Uh, so as a leader, being able to uh, set goals um, that are uh, stretch but achievable goals for the organization and holding the teams accountable to deliver uh, is important because again, results matter ultimately. And all these pieces have to come together towards a business outcome and a value for the organization. So we're really experiencing challenging times for all of us with the stressful things we're facing with the COVID crisis, uh, economic issues, social issues. What does leadership from your perspective, you talked about situational, what about leadership in a crisis? What qualities do you believe a leader should have during these very stressful times? So great question, Aileen. Um, we have all faced as businesses uh, the crisis uh, with the pandemic. Uh, and I believe uh, that a leader needs to be a calm in the storm during a crisis. Um, the visual that I can present to you is, you know, the captain of the ship. When the sea is in high storm, uh, the most important thing for the captain is to stay calm and look at the data in front of them in the dashboard and steer the ship in the right direction. Um, I'll tell you the story of what we have uh, gone through within the Fed um, and, and highlight a couple of things as a leader uh, that I have done uh, to steer uh, the IT team forward. Um, so the first one is, you know, we came into the crisis and we started learning that you know, the pandemic uh, is, is growing. Um, I listened to my peers in the industry and many of them were going into more of a telework mode. Um, so immediately uh, pulled in the IT teams uh, to look for uh, our infrastructure capability and whether we are set up to support the Fed in a telework uh, you know, environment. Uh, so anticipation was a key trait that I applied in that situation, basically ahead of the Fed announcing 100% telework, uh, we brought the IT teams to assess our capability and determine whether we are set up to support the Fed in a 100% telework. Uh, we did the assessment, uh, again, our usage model of our telework capability before the pandemic, we had three to 4,000 uh, people on average teleworking each day. 
uh, we are a 22,000 person organization. So our infrastructure was designed to support the 3,000 to 7,000 maximum, not the 22,000. So we immediately went into planning mode uh, to determine what tools, what technologies, what infrastructures do we need to acquire uh, and upgrade to support the telework environment. So planning is another trait uh, that is important in a crisis. But in this case, your planning horizon is hours and days, not weeks and months or years. So it was a plan with a sense of urgency. And acting, I mean, we had to go upgrade uh, a lot of our infrastructure. Our goal is to allow the Fed to run and operate without a glitch uh, and deliver to its mission. Because we know during a crisis, uh, having a healthy and operating financial system is important. And I'm very happy that the financial system worked during the crisis. Um, so acting very quickly and providing the infrastructure that allowed us to bring all of the Fed uh, into telework arrangement with over a weekend uh, was part of the act quickly and swiftly uh, with an end in mind. And then again, we made mistakes. Um, as an example, we stood up the uh, teleconferencing capability, but we found out that we max out after a thousand people being on a call. Uh, simultaneously. It's not the same call, but multiple calls, we reach maximum at a thousand person, uh, you know, engaged in a call. So we had to update, refresh, you know, uh, do different things to allow more people on that bridge call. Um, the other factor is, again, IT is in the business for the business. And I, we put ourselves in the shoes of the person who's sitting at home trying to do their jobs. And we said, okay, what would that person need to know? Um, and a couple of things we focused on. One is we made sure our communication was um, recurring, uh, relevant to everybody in the organization because we're sitting in the background working the system, working the technology, but from an end user, they're looking at their you know, desktop or laptop or mobile phone and expecting it to work. Um, and so we wanted to connect the dots between the work that's happening in the background to the technology that people see and feel and use uh, in their desktops. And then last but not least, which is really, really important, and we learned it uh, a little bit the hard way in the beginning is because only 4,000 people used to telework, not the 22,000 we realized that the rest of the organization are not necessarily familiar with a lot of the collaboration tools and the way uh, they can use technology to host meetings or uh, collaborate in meetings. So we spent a lot of energy on building tutorials and uh, cheat sheets and holding hands with people to teach them the technology so they can be productive and do their jobs. Overall, we were very successful. IT uh, in the system earned a lot of credibility. And as you can see, the financial system worked. The Fed delivered a lot of capabilities to support the economy. Um, and um, you know, we're very thankful and grateful for that. We are too. You know, I recently read a Harvard Business Review and it said, countries with women in leadership um, have suffered six times fewer confirmed deaths 
from COVID-19 than countries with governments led by men. You know, I, I can't help but think about the story that you just told about the journey that you had in helping keep our nation's financial system healthy and hold by allowing the Federal Reserve Board employees to be able to collaborate and do their job. Do you think there's a difference between women leaders and men leaders when it comes to especially leadership in a crisis? Um, so definitely I'm not a politician, so I cannot opine on uh, whether a country with a woman leader is better than a country with a man leader. But I can tell you this, Aileen, from my uh, professional experience, I have worked for many brilliant and amazing leaders, um, men and women leaders uh, throughout my career. Um, just watching them lead and operate in different organizations in different situations taught me a lot of great lessons. Um, so I think we have great leaders of both genders. Um, I know that uh, for a fact also that the Fed is a great place to work uh, for, especially for women. Uh, so when I interviewed at the Fed, um, you know, coming into my role here, what I have observed is there are a number of women leaders at the Fed uh, with very uh, prominent positions and highly uh, you know, visible positions. And without excluding anybody, I want to highlight a couple of women leaders uh, that are at the Fed that I, I see them as role models uh, in my career here. Governor Lael Brainerd, uh, who's an advocate of technology innovation and innovation. Uh, President Esther George, uh, she had a very rich and diverse career at the Fed. She's a Fed veteran and very well respected uh, at the Fed as well as in the financial industry. President Mary Daly, uh, the president of uh, San Francisco, she's outspoken about diversity and inclusion and engages communities in dialogues about these important issues. President Loretta Mester, the president of uh, the Cleveland Fed, a brilliant researcher. She grew up in the research field, a brilliant economic researcher, and she always challenges the status quo and, and wants us to do better. Uh, within our product offices, there are many uh, brilliant women leaders and there are many COOs um, that are leading our different districts. Within my staff, six out of the 12 uh, my, of my direct reports in IT are women, uh, including our CISO. So what I'm saying is, I think diversity is important. Having men and women leaders in an organization is what brings the total value to the organization. And I have seen brilliant men uh, in leadership and brilliant women in leadership. The key is to learn, adapt, and adjust the leadership style based on the situation. Because as I mentioned earlier, uh, leadership is situational. And as a leader, it's important to be agile, to be adaptable. The one thing that probably is slightly different from a women leader that I've observed during the crisis is the high EQ. Uh, women have higher emotional intelligence um, and they are always sensing and looking for signals in the uh, environment and in the organization uh, to make sure that the path that they're taking uh, the organization forward with is the right path. And maybe that's the plus advantage to have women leaders uh, in an organization is to have that sensing capability.
um, speaking with Jada Ejem, Federal Reserve System CIO. After that break, Jada will share some of the proudest accomplishments she has been able to lead her team to achieve. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Jada Ajem, Federal Reserve System CIO. Jada, you are in a very important role as the CIO of the Federal Reserve System. Can you share what your role is and your responsibility? What's the daily life of a CIO uh, in a position like yours? So um, my role as the system CIO uh, is basically responsible for the IT delivery uh, for the Federal Reserve System. Uh, just to describe a little bit of a level of, uh, you know, federation and diversity and, and complexity within the Fed, uh, we have 12 districts and therefore there are 12 CIOs, independent CIOs in the districts. And we have around 12 uh, different business lines uh, that IT supports. So we have another 12 uh, independent business line CIOs. So the collective of that team uh, in, in more of a matrix or a virtual team uh, matter is my responsibility to work collectively with that team uh, to drive the IT agenda for the Fed, making sure that we have a clear vision, a clear mission, and a clear strategy uh, made up of goals and priorities and uh, objectives and outcomes that will have IT support the business and the mission of the Fed. Uh, a couple of examples, um, you know, when you get your paycheck, uh, it's running on the Fed Rails, which is called the ACH system, uh, the Automated Clearinghouse. Um, so that's a technology, right, um, that you know connects the Fed and the banks together to deliver um, the paycheck or the Social Security check. I mean, that's just a simple example, tangible for people to understand what I mean by Fed mission. Um, so that's the scope of my responsibility, the day in the life of a CIO at the Fed. Uh, from my vantage point is making sure that the teams, uh, you know, have the tools, the resources, uh, and the direction and the support and the alignment of the organization uh, to advance uh, the technology strategy for the Fed. Uh, besides a lot of meetings and besides uh, a lot of engagement with the team and the stakeholders. Uh, the teams are fairly independent in actually, um, you know, operating and running uh, their district IT needs or the business line IT needs. Now, as I opened the show, uh, close the last segment, I mentioned about one of your most proudest moments. I, I would imagine leaning the Federal Reserve System through this difficult time must rate in the top three. Um, Absolutely. But is, is, is there uh, another uh, moment in your career that uh, it doesn't have to be only at the Federal Reserve? I, I, you were the CIO of uh, Amtrak and, and, and other uh, very important positions in the past. Is there one moment in your career that you just, you just really look back on fondly and very proud of what you were able to accomplish with your team? Um, so I want to divert a little bit to have a one moment in my life uh, where I'm uh, super proud of my accomplishments. 
I do have uh, two children and raising two compassionate, responsible and accomplished children um, that are now adults and independent uh, without losing sight of what I really wanted to achieve in my career and uh, being able to balance that equation where I have the right amount of time dedicated to my family and my children uh, while focusing on sort of my end game from a career perspective, I believe is an accomplishment. And uh, I know that a lot of women uh, and women leaders, especially uh, post-crisis, uh, are questioning their ability to sustain a career while um, you know, being at home, dealing with children that are going to school at home. Um, so my message to them is hang in there. Uh, it's only a period of time and don't give up on your career aspirations. So that's in my mind is a, is a proud accomplishment uh, from a life perspective. The other accomplishment, I think, Eileen, you refer to um, Amtrak. Um, and within Amtrak, I did lead a digital transformation journey uh, for Amtrak. Um, basically, we took Amtrak from uh, a legacy IT environment that was not responsive uh, to the, you know, Amtrak's goals around customer satisfaction, uh, increase in ridership and revenue uh, goals uh, that were set uh, for the organization. Uh, a few years ago into uh, a digitally enabled uh, customer engaged uh, type organization. And a lot of uh, the technologies that Amtrak riders use uh, in terms of the mobile app um, and uh, websites and other capabilities that became available on the train is the outcome of uh, the digital transformation that I led within Amtrak. And that, that is very proud. Uh, again, Amtrak is a 40 plus year old organization set in its way from a culture and how things get done and being able to get the alignment and the buy-in and the support to drive that digital transformation is a great accomplishment. And we talked about things that have went well. Is there anything in the past that was a, a major lesson learned or something that you'd like to do over? And can you share any valuable leadership lessons that you learned along the way that you could share with other leaders? Um, there are definitely always lessons learned. Uh, I think the key is um, learn this lesson and adjust uh, in the future. Um, I think one of the biggest lessons that I have learned as I grew up as a leader is something that I highlighted earlier. The business is a people business. Uh, yes, we have products and yes, we focus on um, making money or um, getting, you know, customer engagement or, uh, you know, other whatever metrics the business or the organization is striving to achieve. But ultimately, it is the people that matter in the organization. And trust me, earlier in my career, I may have had some uh, missteps or did not realize the connection of people to outcomes. Um, and uh, I learned those lessons, uh, adjusted my leadership style uh, to bring my authentic self, to bring my full self into the workplace, to engage the people early on versus later on. 
I do have a couple of examples where I've taken the road forward and did not bring the organization with me. And as a result, um, we did not achieve the 100% outcome that we wanted to achieve. We create, you know, delivered less than 100%. And it's because I did not bring the people along. Um, definitely learned that. And, you know, I'm exercising the bring people along every step of the way here at the Fed, just because of the complex and diverse uh, structure that we have within the Federal Reserve System. I'm speaking with Jada Ijem, Federal Reserve System CIO. Coming up next, we'll talk about the important decisions you can make as a leader. You're listening to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders in Legend and Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Jada Ijem, Federal Reserve System CIO. So we, I mentioned before the important decisions. So what are the most important decisions you can make as a leader of your organization? And how do you approach how to decide what you will do? Uh, great question, Aileen. Um, again, I'm going to look at it more from a, uh, a leader who is leading a change through technology and uh, advancing uh, the technology footprint uh, within the Federal Reserve System and in my prior job uh, as the Amtrak CIO. Uh, there are a couple of levers um, that uh, you know I use extensively as a leader in, in these situations. Um, the first lever is uh, strategy. Um, as the leader, I own working with the team to define the strategy, which is the vision goals, priorities, and initiatives that will get us from today to tomorrow. Uh, pulling the team together to formulate that strategy is an important role and important lever that uh, is available to me. Uh, the second, again, we're a people business and having the right talent to get the job done is important. Uh, so in my role, uh, I am responsible for making sure that we have the right talent and I do that by reviewing the talent, asking the questions, assessing the organization, especially the leadership talent within the organization, and to make sure that we have the right players to help us drive the vision, priorities, and outcomes that we aspire to achieve. Um, the third one is making sure that, again, IT is in the business for the business and IT is not doing work for IT's sake. Making sure that we have alignment with our stakeholders and business partners, uh, that the work that we are doing and the millions of dollars that we're investing in IT uh, will is relevant to them and is important to them and is important to the organization. And that as we do the work, we have their support and buying buy-in to advance that work forward. And then last, you know, no organization is free of risk. Uh, and so making sure that we as an organization uh, are looking and evaluating uh, the risk profile and we are mitigating those risks. Uh, and at times, if we need to take risks, uh, we are taking calculated risks. Um, that we can that will help us advance forward. So again, those are like big levers that I've always, when I look at my role, I probe on in terms of do we have the right strategy, vision, goals, priorities? Do we have the right talent? 
Are we aligned with our business stakeholders and the people that need to support us as well as internally within the organization? And is the risk profile balanced and in alignment with the Federal Reserve System's risk appetite? Peter Drucker is known for a famous quote, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Uh, I don't think he meant that strategy was um, you know, not important or rather that a powerful and, and empowering culture was a sure route to organizational success. What do you believe is a relationship between leadership and culture and how does it uh, affect, um, you know, leadership, you know, uh, how can a leader affect uh, the culture? Um, great, Eileen. Um, so, you know, it, it's simply, I do agree with that. And I do have a lot of uh, my, you know, scars from the past that proves that I do agree with that lesson or with that statement. Um, again, people uh, in an organization and an organization that is many, many years old uh, do have established cultures and norms. And that's what make the organization who it is. Um, you know, I worked for a young organization when I was uh, at Intel. Uh, you know, it was an up and coming, uh, you know, uh, leading the market. So it was a very young organization and the culture was more focused on results. I worked for a 40 year old type organization at Amtrak and now at the Fed, it's a 100 year old organization. So um, you betcha there is culture in the organization. I think the trick as a leader, and I learned it again throughout my career, is again to engage and understand the culture of the organization and then engage the people to help them see what the future looks like and, and bring them along. And let me tell you a story uh, around that. Um, so when I was at Intel, uh, I was leading the ERP implementation, uh, which is you know the SAP implementation for Intel. And I was selling the business case to the CFO and it was a very compelling business case. So the dollars and cents and the return on investment and you know the use, usability of the system and the integration of the system was, was very positive. So when I went to the CFO uh, and presented the case, he rejected it. And I was surprised because again, CFO looking at the dollars and cents, it makes sense. Um, when I went back to him to understand why he rejected the business case, he said, did you observe my leadership team and how their body language is telling you that they are not supportive of your business case? If I had approved your strategy and your plan, it would have failed because they would have not come along with you and therefore they would not use the system and all your numbers are gonna be uh, you know, negative as a result. He gave me a challenge. He said, if you go and sell my leaders the business case and sell them to come along with you, I will approve your business case. And I went on a journey. And through that journey, what I learned is people have different perspectives. They look at the problem and how the problem should be solved uh, from different vantage points. And there is value in that diversity of perspective uh, that as leaders, we need to understand. And therefore, seeking to understand first and collecting the input from a diverse set of stakeholders 
makes your business case and makes what you're trying to do much stronger. I got their buy-in, I got their perspectives and came back to the same meeting, but with a different business case and a different level of alignment uh, with those leaders. And they were all shaking their heads and actually they were jumping in to support the business case. And I got the um, pro program approved and, and the organization moved forward with the implementation. So my point is, yes, uh, culture could eat strategy for breakfast and to avoid that, um, do your homework, engage the organization, sell your idea, get the diverse perspective, um, and that will set you up for success. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Giada Ajam, Federal Reserve CIO. Next, we'll find out what Giada's advice to the next generation of leaders. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Giada Ajam, Federal Reserve CIO. Um, in the first segment, we talked about women in leadership. Jada, you have been a leader in technology for decades. Women are still drastically underrepresented in leadership in technology companies. You are a woman, you're a minority in a very male-dominated industry, finance or the world of banking. Do you alter your approach in certain situations because you may be the only one at the table that is a woman or a minority? I do not alter uh, my approach. Uh, one of the lessons uh, that uh, stuck with me as well uh, is I joined an organization and uh, I came in intentionally uh, with more of a reserved, uh, closed uh, type approach to leadership, uh, trying to make sure that there is a distance between myself and uh, my direct reports. And then I got my 360 input that says, we can't read her, we can't understand her, and therefore we may not be able to trust her, which is not who I am as, as a leader. And that taught me a lesson that says, you bring your authentic self to the organization and you bring who you are to the organization and you operate the way you normally operate as a leader. Uh, if there is a match between uh, your leadership style and the organization, then it, it will become extremely successful. If there is a mismatch between your leadership style and the organization for whatever reason that mismatch happens, and one of the reasons that you're highlighting with your question, Aileen, is the mismatch of diversity of you know, a woman leader be, being in a male-dominated organization, that mismatch happens, then it's not the right organization for me to be in. Um, so my, my approach it, from that lesson is never bring a different person to the table because that doesn't last. You cannot pretend to be somebody other than who you are for a long period of time. So the best approach is bring yourself, bring who you are to the table, and uh, make sure that there is a match between you as a leader and the organization. Um, there are times where I had to use different tactics uh, to win uh, my peers over if they were, uh, uh, you know, male leaders. 
Uh, one example I have is, you know, again, way back when in my career, uh, I was proposing a change to a process and uh, my uh, colleagues who were uh, uh, men challenged me and, and they used their engineering talent uh, to challenge me, uh, not recognizing that I do have an engineering background. So they were using metrics and numbers and formulas, thinking that they will overwhelm me uh, with their uh, you know, rebuttal. And I came back with the same concepts and principles that they were using, which are the engineering concepts and principles. And they just got wowed and they fully supported what I was proposing and we moved forward. And that changed the relationship uh, between us as, as a collective group of peers, because now they had much more respect uh, for me because one, I didn't stay quiet. Two, I didn't accept uh, you know, their you know, just argument. And then three, I came back uh, to them with an equal level uh, argument. What do you think needs to be done to change the low representation of women in tech? Do you have any ideas? Training tech, um, mentorship? What, uh, have you done anything? You, you said you had six out of 12 of your leadership are women. That's amazing, by the way. Congratulations. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So how do you do it? What, what, what can another CIO or CXO out there learn from? How do you bring that very richness of diversity to your table of leadership? Um, this is an important topic for every organization out there, um, and, and I hear it uh, from our board of directors, I hear it from uh, my peers in the industry, uh, that there's a lot of focus on diversity and inclusion, and at the Federal Reserve System, we do take diversity and inclusion very seriously. And in the Richmond Bank specifically, which is where I sit from a structural perspective, we have multiple uh, programs uh, that is focused on making sure that we have the right diversity and inclusion pipeline, uh, the right diversity and inclusion leadership development, as well as the right diversity and inclusion environment within uh, the system or within the bank uh, to continue to attract and retain that talent. Uh, we're using multiple ways to attract and retain that talent. We have uh, a discover program which is really focused on um, you know looking at the pipeline from the early career and new college uh, hires uh, and that brings a, a good, diverse a group of people, uh, minority women, uh, as well as diversity in education and backgrounds. Uh, so that pipeline is, is really rich for us and it's helping us uh, build the, the leadership from the bottom. Uh, we also have mentorship programs. We also have uh, a lot of talent review uh, sessions uh, with the bank leadership and the IT leadership to make sure that we're identifying the high potential uh, employees and investing in these high potential employees and giving them the variety of assignments that allows them to uh, learn and, and develop 
their skills and talent as a, a diverse set of leaders. So again, there's not one answer. Uh, it's a collection of answer, answers or a collection of levers or ways uh, to solve that problem. But it's really, really important to note that the Federal Reserve System uh, pays attention to this. It's a priority for us. And that definitely helps in uh, encouraging uh, the diverse talent to come into the workplace. Uh, and as I highlighted earlier in my career, that's what attracted me uh, to the Fed is by seeing other women uh, in leadership positions and seeing the diverse assignments that they have within the system was super attractive to me. There are many people out there out of work or ready for a career change. If there was somebody out there that would like to, uh, you know, follow in your steps, uh, footsteps, or ha you know, have a what would like to have a similar career journey, what advice would you have for somebody starting out or trying to change careers? It's funny, Aileen. You should be at our dinner table when I'm having a conversation with my children because whatever advice I give them, they won't listen to. <laughs> um, but I will give it a try here on radio. Maybe they'll hear me and um, other folks will hear me outside as well. Um, what I, my advice to my children who are uh, young career professionals and uh, are looking for opportunities, uh, be flexible. I, what I observe with the, uh, you know, the current generation, you know, the, my kids' age generation, they're looking for very, very specific uh, type of work, uh, organizations with a mission, uh, exact fit with their skills. And again, I'm not generalizing, but that's what I see at my dinner table here. Um, but in general, you know, you start somewhere, you learn, you're flexible. Uh, the opportunities will open up for you as long, again, as you apply yourself and apply your talent and skills uh, to the job that you're working on. Um, you know, there's not one size fits all career. Uh, career is not a vertical, career is a zigzag. And being open to that and, and being open to using every opportunity to learn something new uh, is my advice to everybody, um, but more importantly, to the young generation. You've been listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. Today, my guest has been Jada Ijam, Federal Reserve CIO. Jada, I just want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your personal journey and some very valuable advice. Thank you, Aileen. I appreciate you having me here. I'm Aileen Black. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.